Blog Talk Radio. by John MacArthur, pastor, author, and the Bible teacher with Grace to You. If you've never contacted Grace to You, we want to send you a free booklet by John called Found God's Peace. It's all about helping you defeat anxiety and know true and lasting contentment. Request your free booklet by writing to peace at gty.org. That's P-E-A-C-E at gty.org. Offer good in North America and Europe through June of 2018. And now, unleashing God's truth, one verse at a time, here's grace to you Bible teacher, John MacArthur. Now, we have been going through the book of Galatians, so I would invite you to turn in your Bible to Galatians chapter 5. 
We are in chapter 5 in a section from verse 16 through 25 that we've titled, for obvious reasons, Walking by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit. We're talking about the Holy Spirit who lives in every believer and who directs our steps. He directs our steps both by way of biblical truth and by way of internal power. The Bible sets the course and the Spirit in us provides the power for us to walk obediently in that course. Walking is the picture because it's one step at a time, putting sort of one spiritual foot in front of another as we walk in the path of obedience to Scripture empowered by the Holy Spirit. We have been told in verse 16 to walk by the Spirit, And so let's begin there. I'll read that passage down to verse 25, and then we'll catch up to where we left off last time. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So in the beginning, walk by the Spirit. In the end, walk by the Spirit. This is about walking by the Spirit. That is a command, as we have noted, It is not uh, an easy command to fulfill because there is an immediate conflict, as we saw in verse 17, our remaining human flesh, our remaining human nature that uh, is still with us until we're glorified, sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. Therein lies the conflict. These are in opposition to one another. And the Holy Spirit works to prevent us from doing the things that we please in the flesh. So we acknowledge that walking by the Spirit is not easy. It is a battleground in order for us to be faithful to walk by the Spirit. We must apply the means of grace which the Lord has given to us, His Word, prayer, Christian fellowship, all of those kinds of things that strengthen us against the flesh. Now, we looked and saw the contrast between what the flesh produces in verses 19 to 21 and what the Spirit produces in verses 22 and 23. The things that the flesh produces mark people who have only human nature, who only operate in the flesh, who are driven by, as we read earlier, lust and corruption. The list in verses 19 to 21 defines life in the fallen world. Now, in verses 22 and 23, we have a new life in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We've been going through all of this in the last number of weeks. 
and the Spirit produces something very contrary to what the flesh produces, the nine virtues that constitute the fruit of the Spirit. And as I said last time, fruit is a singular word, and this is a singular complex or combination of virtues. If you are walking in the Spirit, you get them all. They come as a group. This is a bouquet. And it's a bouquet that may start out in your Christian life as kind of a bud. And as you mature in Christ, the bouquet gets larger and larger as the flowers of these virtues expand to full bloom. This is what sanctification is. It is the presence of these virtues in ever-increasing dimensions. They are there when you walk in the Spirit as a new believer. They are there when you walk in the Spirit as a long-time believer. But the beauty of the virtues will be more rich and more manifest toward the end of the sanctifying process than it might have been at the beginning because there is so much more spiritual depth and life flooding into the beauty of these virtues. These are things that should mark every Christian from the moment of salvation on, but they would be most lovely in those who have walked with the Lord for the longest time. They are, however, not something that you have to be mature to express. It's only the extent of that expression that goes along with your maturity even as a new believer. These must mark your Christian life and will if you walk by the Spirit. If you walk in the power of the Spirit, which is essentially let the Word of Christ, the Word of God, the Scripture dwell in you richly, and thus being filled with the Spirit, the Spirit is moving you in the path of divine revelation to the glory of God and to your own fruitfulness. Now, we said last time that these are attitudes. They're attitudes. They're not actions. And if the attitudes are there, if these attitudes are present in your life, the actions take care of themselves. Actions without attitudes, that's just a form of hypocrisy. You want to see the attitudes manifesting the action. If your life is filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, your actions will reflect that because the Bible is clear about the fact that as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Whatever's going on on the inside is going to show up on the outside. So we're not so much concerned about action, although the Bible does talk a lot about behavior, but the assumption is that those behaviors can only occur in the highest and best sense when they are the product of these attitudes. So as a Christian, you must be more concerned about these attitudes than actions in themselves. And that is what, in reality, delivers us from legalism. Legalism is concerned about the actions, the prescriptions, the externals, whether or not the attitudes are there. True spirituality is concerned about the attitudes and the actions take care of themselves. The person who is exhibiting and enjoying these virtues by way of the power of the Holy Spirit will produce actions that will give glory and honor to God. The law cannot do this. You cannot do it in your own human strength. It comes by way of the Spirit and in the new nature empowered by God. 
So we looked at the start of the fruit of the Spirit, the first three, love, joy, peace. Those uh, belong at the beginning, I think. They are sort of the, the pinnacle. Love is the first and foremost, the greatest of things, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. And then joy and then peace. And we talked last time about peace. This is the peace that we enjoy. We have peace with God, therefore we have the peace of God. We have made peace with God. The war is over. We're no longer His enemies. He's no longer our enemy. We're no longer under His wrath and judgment. We have peace with God, and therefore we enjoy the peace of God. Philippians 4, 7, you remember from last week, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. It is a a subjective peace that we experience and we enjoy that is incomprehensible to the world and even in some measure to us will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This peace guards us. It guards us in our most vulnerable times. It guards us when everything seems to be going wrong. It guards us when we have lost the ones we love the most. It guards us when we have massive disappointment. It guards us when we have been told of terminal illness. It guards us at the loss of a life partner. It's the peace that God grants us that floods our heart through the Holy Spirit. That peace which cannot be explained becomes the guardian, becomes the the security of our lives in the midst of the most profound chaos and difficulty. Isaiah 26.3 says, The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because He trusts in you. This is the peace that comes from complete trust in God. Complete trust in God. Now, as we've looked at these virtues, and that's just a little bit of a recap on the third one, peace, we've looked at love, joy, and peace. As we've looked at those, we have noticed something of the nature of these virtues and then We've looked at the example of these virtues, who is always Christ, and then the command to us to exercise and to cultivate these virtues, and then finally the source of these virtues, obviously the Holy Spirit, they come down to us from heaven. These are divinely granted virtues. They are defined in very unique and special ways, and yet they are not isolated from each other, and there's a lot of overlap. And that is why you have a statement at the end, which is kind of an et cetera, against such things there is no law. With the such things idea means these are only representative of a greater list that could be brought together of virtues that come to the Spirit-filled believer. If you are a Spirit-filled believer, you will have no doubt about your salvation because when, as we read in Second Peter 1, you see these virtues manifest, that makes your calling and election sure and you don't stumble in doubt. Furthermore, as these are manifest in your life, the people around you have to have an explanation for why you are so otherworldly. These are not things that are characteristic of our culture, particularly the culture in which we now live. When these things are characteristic of an individual, when they dominate an individual, when this beautiful bouquet of virtues manifests itself, in a life, the question is, what has brought this about? And that is a platform on which to proclaim the gospel. If we are going to claim that Christ transforms lives, then 
This bouquet of virtues is the transformation on display that speaks to the powerful work of the gospel of Christ in us. So as we walk in the Spirit, we will manifest love and joy and peace. Number four in our list, and we'll look at the next three so we can move a little more rapidly. Patience. Patience. I want to stop and say a little bit about this. I don't want to just go past it because I think the Scripture intends for us to understand what is meant by this. There are a couple of words in Greek that could be translated patience. One is hupomone. There's a verb meno, which means to remain, and hupo means under. The kind of uh, patience that is exhibited when you remain under a trial. It's talking about circumstances, life circumstances, the ability to be patient in the middle of some circumstance that's very challenging and very difficult. It's kind of being able to... Uh, to take what comes and maintain your joy and your hope and patiently wait for the Lord to deliver you. That's hupomone. That is not the word that is used here. The word that is used here speaks not so much of being patient in a trial, but being patient with people, being patient with people. And it's the word macrothumia. Macro, we all understand. Macro in the Greek means large, as opposed to micro, or even better, distant, far away. Thumia is related to thumos, which is anger. This is a person who pushes his anger far away. That's the kind of patience we're talking about. Patience with people who would otherwise make you angry. Thumos, by the way, is a word related to anger, and there are several words in Greek for anger. This is the one that is related to an outburst of anger. So if you are a spirit-filled person, any outburst of anger is far, far away. It is put out of distance. Some people have uh, called this long-suffering to illustrate the, the distance notion it really is the idea of Scripture saying, slow to anger, slow to anger. Perhaps even a, a clearer definition would be this, patience is restraint that does not retaliate. Patience is restraint that does not retaliate. Whatever was said to you, whatever was done to you, whatever was not done that should have been done, Whatever offense was rendered against you, no matter how severe or how serious, if you're walking in the Spirit, your anger is far away. It is at an almost infinite distance. You are restrained in your anger, restrained from any retaliation. Tolerant might be a way to express it, but that's a little too benign. It means to keep your anger far away. Now, this is, first of all, defined for us, and we're going to talk about a definition. It's defined for us by God Himself. There is a verse in Numbers, and I'm going to read it to you. It's chapter 14, if you're taking notes. Chapter 14 and verse 18, listen to this. The Lord is slow to anger. There is the patience being talked about here. The Lord is slow to anger 
and abundant in loving kindness, and that's the Old Testament word for grace, forgiving iniquity and transgression. So if you want to know what this patience is, it is that kind of response to an offense that is slow to anger, full of grace, forgiving the sin and the transgression. This is the one virtue in the list most closely related to forgiveness. We could talk a lot about forgiveness. We are called to forgive. We are called to forgive 70 times 7, 70 times a day. We are called to forgive our enemies. We are never more like God than when we forgive and love our enemies, Jesus said. If we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. He said that as well. So this is the closest expression to the virtue of forgiveness. We ought to be marked by the same kind of slowness to anger that is essentially the character of one who is marked by loving kindness and grace and an eager forgiveness. This is true of God. We know that. There are many indications of it in the Old Testament. One other verse would suffice to, to give you a, a location on it, and it's the Psalm 86. I think it's verse 15. Yes, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness and truth. They're slow to anger. Again, is connected with graciousness, mercy, and forgiveness. So that's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about patience in a trial. We're not talking about being able to hang in there through a trial. That, that is a virtue, but that's a different virtue. This one is to be patient with those who have offended us and it is most clearly demonstrated by God Himself. Listen to Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? We're going to see kindness next. Here, kindness is connected to patience, and it is the patience of God that tolerates us until we come to repentance. So again, the assumption with this word is that there's sin, there's an offense, something's wrong, somebody did something, something's not right. And the human nature is obviously to fight back, to retaliate, to be judgmental, to be abusive, to seek harm. Vengeance, that is not what the Holy Spirit produces. That is not the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the opposite of the deeds of the flesh, which are hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, etc. This is the virtue of patience that brings about forgiveness. This is the patience of God, Peter says in 1 Peter 3.20, that was exhibited in the days of Noah. God was so patient in the days of Noah, patient with the sinful world, 
How patient was he? It took Noah 120 years to build the ark. And for those 120 years, he was a preacher of righteousness. And God was patient over 120 years before he brought the judgment. James writes in chapter 5, verse 7, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Verse 8, you be patient. Strengthen your hearts. The coming of the Lord is near. Don't complain against one another. Be an example of suffering and patience. We are to be patient like God is patient. So what it means is basically to endure offenses with a heart of forgiveness, compassion, and mercy. The example, of course, is uh, God. We've seen that, but certainly our Lord Jesus Christ manifested that. Listen to the testimony of Paul in 1 Timothy 1. Verse 15, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all, says Paul. Yet for this reason I found mercy. This is very definitive. For this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might demonstrate His perfect patience. What an amazing statement. Here was not just a, a Pharisee, not just a legalistic Jew that God was patient with, but here was a killer of Christians God was patient with. So he, in his conversion, is a demonstration of the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrating his perfect patience. Christ is patient with sinners. God is patient with sinners. Again, we turn to the words of Peter, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow about His promise. Sometimes people think, well, wait a minute. The Lord promised to, to come. He promised to bring His kingdom. He promised to intervene in the world. Where is He? Where is He? Peter says the Lord is not slow about His promise, but is patient, not wishing for any to perish. The reason the Lord delays His coming is not because His promise is slow. It's because His anger is slow. It's because He is, by nature, patient. And that is because He is gracious, merciful, and eager to forgive. We see that in our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter also writes in that same chapter, 2 Peter 3, verse 15, "...regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. If God was not patient, none of us would be alive to be saved. If God had no patience for sin, we'd all die in the womb because we were born conceived as sinners. If God had no patience, certainly after we committed our first overt act of sin, God would be just in destroying us, but the fact that sinners live long enough to believe and be saved is testimony to the patience of God. The patience of our Lord Jesus Christ is exhibited in our conversion as it was in Paul's. So the Bible commands us as believers who walk in the Spirit to manifest these same virtues that belong to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Listen to Ephesians 4. Verse 1, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you 
to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, and here that patience is defined, showing tolerance for one another in love. Showing tolerance for one another in love. That's the meaning of that patience. You are to be patient in the sense that you show tolerance to others in love. Colossians chapter 3, we go back to this with the number of these virtues. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then it says regarding patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other whoever has a complaint against you just as the Lord forgave you so also should you and then by the way put on love so patience is the kind of patience that offers forgiveness this is the kind of people we are to be this is how you will live if you're walking in the spirit you're not vengeful you're not bitter you're not trying to get back at people. You're not hostile. You're not angry. You don't have an outburst because somebody offended you. Your anger is far, far away. And your response to even the offenses of life that are sinful is gracious, merciful, loving, tolerant, patience. That's what we're commended to exhibit. Even as a preacher who preaches the Word of God, uh, I am called to exhibit patience on behalf of those to whom I speak, preach the Word, 2 Timothy 4.2, with great patience, with great patience. That means the ability to endure the people who don't make appropriate application of the Word of God. It takes time. We must exhibit patience. Here's perhaps the simplest command. Uh, this is 1 Thessalonians 5.14. You ready for this? Be patient with everyone. That's it. Be patient with everyone. Everyone. Nothing else need be said. Be patient with everyone. Except we could add all the time, under all circumstances. In uh, Colossians 1, walk in a manner worthy, very much like Ephesians 4, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power by the Holy Spirit, of course, according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. I don't, I don't know if you think of patience as a primary work of the Spirit of God in your life, but it is. If you don't have patience with those who offend you and those who disrupt your direction, those who invade your life, create havoc and chaos for you, if you don't have patience with them, you are not Christ-like and you are not manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. Your life should be patience personified. Where does this come from? Well, obviously it comes from the Holy Spirit. And we just read Colossians chapter 1. Paul says, 
since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with, and go down the list, all patience, giving thanks to the Father. God is the source of this patience. Christ is the example of this patience. The Holy Spirit is the dispenser of this patience. I've said this many times and have it in a book on forgiveness, the freedom and power of forgiveness, that in the end, all relationships that are destroyed are destroyed by a lack of forgiveness because we, we, we can't get to the place where we forgive. The fruit of the Spirit is forgiveness that leads not to retaliation, but to patience that is gracious and merciful. The next word that I want you to notice in Galatians, and they are very close in character, is kindness, kindness, patience, kindness, crestates. Interesting word, sometimes translated gentleness, and you'll see that another word later is translated gentleness, and that's because these words are so close, they're shades of meaning. It, it's not that they're hard and fast, they overlap a lot, but they're just looking at facets of virtue. This is kindness. It it's essentially is goodness of heart. Goodness of heart. It's just that, that high level of noble virtue that seeks always to do good. You remember the words, familiar words of Romans chapter 3, where Paul says in verse 12, There is none who does good. There's not even one. Actually, in the Greek, there is none crestates. There is none doing kindness. This isn't moral good as opposed to moral evil. This is kindness. Where is kindness? Where is kindness in our culture? Where is kindness among fallen people? It's the opposite of the deeds of the flesh that we saw in the earlier verses. There is no one doing kindness. Contrast that with Titus 3, the kindness of God our Savior. Because of the kindness of God our Savior and His love for us, He saved us. Kindness. The goodness of heart that intends the very best for others. Ephesians 2.7 uses this word. It tells us that God saves us by grace raised us with Christ, verse 6, Ephesians 2, seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that, this is the purpose, in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That says we were saved so that God could lavish us out of the riches of His grace with deeds of kindness forever and ever and ever and ever. This is the goodness of God. This is the kindness of God. Again, in Colossians, we see this virtue. Chapter 3, verse 12. We are the chosen of God, holy and beloved. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Again, the same complex of virtues. This is sometimes even translated, not only gentleness, but sometimes translated tenderness. It does not exclude righteous indignation over sin. 
It does not exclude that. That can never, ever be excluded, and it isn't excluded back in Numbers 14 either, because the second half of that verse says that God will by no means clear the guilty. And that ultimately leads to the cross, because God is kind, God is loving, God is gracious, God is merciful, God will forgive. But at the same time, He will not overlook iniquity. That then leads to the cross where His Son is punished to satisfy His justice so that His goodness and mercy can be extended to sinners such as we are. Now, the example of kindness is our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.1 speaks of the meekness and kindness of Christ using this word. So many incidents in His life show just basic divine goodness feeding hungry people picking up little children into His arms and blessing them, saying to the crowd in Matthew chapter 11 those beautiful words that seem almost, I'm sure, inconsistent to one who is so utterly holy as our Lord. But these are the words, Come to Me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you. Learn from Me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The Lord says, I am gentle. I am gentle. He is the model of this goodness, this gentleness, this tenderness. And we then are also commanded to exhibit it. We are to be gentle as well as believers. We just saw that in Colossians 3. I won't read it again. But there's another interesting verse in Romans 11. It's verse 22. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you God's kindness. Listen, if you continue in His kindness, otherwise you will also be cut off. Whoa. If kindness doesn't mark your life, you, you're not a believer. If kindness isn't sustained in your life, you're not a believer. Believers are marked by kindness. Titus 3.2 says we're to be gentle and we're to show consideration for all men. Gentle, showing consideration for all men. 2 Timothy 2.24 The Lord's slave must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all. Patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. There will always be a manifest kindness in a Spirit-filled believer. The source and power for that, as we've seen in all of these things, basically comes from heaven. But there's an interesting comment down that line in 2 Corinthians 6.6. 6. This is just a beautiful little nugget. Paul's talking about his own life in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness in the Holy Spirit, in kindness in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love. This is kindness that comes from the Holy 
Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us this, grants us this. James defines it as part and parcel of the wisdom that is from above, that is pure and peaceable and kind, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, etc. As a believer who walks in the Spirit, people should know you for your kindness, for your endearing quality, for your non-retaliatory spirit, for your willingness to push anger far, far away no matter how you've been offended and offer people grace and mercy and forgiveness. There's a third virtue in this little trio, and we'll close with that one. Goodness is it. Goodness, verse 22. Aga thesune. Goodness was a deep-down virtue of moral sweetness, moral excellence. And we can't even find the word in secular Greek sources. It sort of was coined by believers as a way to express a kind of goodness that was deeper than anything the world experienced. It usually is compared with righteousness, and that's, that's really helpful to kind of get the meaning of it. In um, Ephesians chapter 5, we read in verse 9, the fruit of the light... The light, capital L, the divine light, the heavenly presence, our Lord, the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. So their goodness is connected to righteousness. And I think that's very helpful because righteousness can tend to be the hard edge. Righteousness can tend to be the uh, stern aspect of Christian character, right? You, you're righteous. You, you have righteous standards. You have righteous convictions. You, you know what is right. You expect people to do what is right. You uphold the standard of what is right. You defend what is right. That is the sterner aspect of Christian character. But the backside of that, and that's what light produces according to Ephesians 5.9, the backside of that righteousness is goodness. That's the soft side of your convictions. That's the kindlier expression of your convictions. It's right to have those convictions. It's right to hold those convictions. It's right not to compromise those convictions. But it's also right to be full of goodness so those convictions don't wind up bashing people. Listen to um, Romans fifteen fourteen. This is one of the sweetest commendations of any congregation in the New Testament. Concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness. I think that's something I can say it to, to you as a congregation. I am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness. You have strong convictions very strong convictions. You know what's right. You believe what's right. You hold those convictions. You live those convictions. You battle for those convictions. You proclaim those convictions. 
But there's a kindly side of your convictions that you are filled with all goodness. That is that your convictions have a tenderness connected to them. The Greek in that verse in Romans 15, you yourselves are full of goodness, is just, it's, it's just as rich as it can get. You yourselves, kind of doubling down on this is really you. Uh, not only have goodness, you're full of this kind of goodness, very strong. And the reason he goes on to say is also very strong language, having already been filled with all knowledge. When you have the full knowledge, the full understanding of the Word of God, when you have the full picture, it doesn't just make hard-nosed convictions. It produces strong, immovable convictions that have a soft side of goodness. Look, you don't have conviction stronger than God, right? And yet the goodness of the Lord extends to the highest heavens. Nehemiah 9 talks about His great goodness. David said in Psalm 23, Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. His goodness will go on forever and ever and ever. And again, David says in Psalm 27, verse 13, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Life would have been too much for me if I didn't believe the goodness of the Lord would be dispensed. God is both righteous and good. And this, this goodness is, is what brings mercy to bear. This is the kind of goodness that Joseph had. Joseph was a good man, Matthew 1.19. He was a righteous man. And he found out that his wife was pregnant with a child, and he was devastated because he knew her character. He couldn't figure out how this could have happened, not yet understanding that it was done by the Holy Spirit. He didn't know what to do. He was a righteous man, so he had to do what was righteous. He could have stoned her. That would have had Old Testament support. He could have publicly shamed her. That would have had Old Testament support. But instead, he planned to put her away to cancel the contract of engagement, even though they hadn't ever come together in marriage, cancel the engagement contract privately. This is because his righteousness was tempered with his goodness. And this is how it is with God. You can be thankful for that, right? That he is perfectly righteous, but his righteousness is tempered with his goodness. This is the example that Christ gives to us. They said of Christ in John 7, 12, he's a good man. He's a good man. He, he was the man who came into the temple and threw them out at the beginning and end of his ministry. His message was severe regarding judgment, but there was goodness in him, and they could see and said so. He is a good man. I love the passage in Isaiah 42 that our Lord quotes in Matthew 12. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, the messianic prophecy Christ will, of course, be led by and powered by the Holy Spirit. He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. And then I love this verse 20. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out. 
He's coming as a conqueror. He's coming to lead justice to victory. He's coming to take over the world. He is the, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the conqueror of conquerors. But it says, a battered reed he will not break off. Uh, people used to play tunes on reeds. They could play a reed. Uh, shepherds are well known to be playing little flutes made out of reeds. Eventually, saliva or just time would make the reed useless. It would get soft and it couldn't be played. And so you might break the reed and break the little flute and throw it away. And, and wicks would eventually run down and be useless and when they were still just barely flickering, get thrown away. Messiah, when He comes, will not take that bruised reed and break it and discard it. He will not take that flickering light and extinguish it and throw it away. There's a goodness about Him. And Jesus was speaking of Himself. Goodness comes along with righteousness and softens the convictions. I've said this many times through the years that I, there are people I know who think that because they only hear me preach, they don't come to this church, they haven't been here. Uh, this is particularly true often with the Shepherds Conference. They hear me preach and it's a lot of convictions and a lot of strong Bible teaching. And they're shocked when they come and spend a week and find out there's so much goodness here. They actually find out that you're living out Romans 15, 14. You're full, you yourselves are full of goodness. And it spills over on them. And it's, it's a new experience for many people to see the strength of those convictions backed up by the love of that goodness. But that's how it has to be. And that's what the Holy Spirit produces. And we're commanded to this goodness. It's not as if it's optional. We're commanded to demonstrate this. Galatians 6.10 So then, while we have opportunity... Let us do good to all people. Do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of the faith, especially to fellow believers. Do good to everyone, but especially fellow believers. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5.15. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always... Always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. There it is again. For one another and for all people. For us as the church and for all people outside. We are to be known by our goodness. Our goodness. Our large-heartedness. Our tenderness. Our kindness. Our patience. Beautiful virtues. Wonderful virtues. Second Thessalonians, one final passage, chapter 1. Here's the prayer of Paul in verse 11. To this end also we pray for you always. This is what I pray. That our God will count you worthy of your calling. That's your calling to salvation and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. So that's the source. That's the power source, God. Paul says, I pray always for you that our God will fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. Here is the apostle 
praying to God for your goodness, for my goodness, for the goodness of the people of God. It's supplied by heaven through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And what's the end of all this? What, where is this all going? Verse 12 of 2 Thessalonians 1, So that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. What's this all about? Why, why are we to manifest love, joy, peace? Why, why are we to be characterized by these virtues of patience, kindness, and goodness? So that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you. You're putting Christ on display. That's what you're doing. You're showing a transformed life. This is not how people live in the world. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. That's not our culture. Our culture has been defined already. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and a lot of others. That's the society. Lives like this are a demonstration of the power of the gospel. They bring glory to our Lord, and that's the reason He calls on us to live walking in the Spirit. Let me read it to you again. So that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in Him. We'll look at the final ones next time. Father, we thank You for meeting with us this morning as You always do when Your people gather. Thank You for being present and powerfully revealing Yourself through Your Word. Thank You for the fellowship. Thank You for the encouragement, the joy, the blessing, the conviction, the reminders. We go back to what we read from Peter. As long as I am in this body, I will continue to remind You of these things so that even when I'm not around, You will remember them. How important it is for us to manifest these virtuous lives for our own usefulness for our own fruitfulness and for the sake of Your glory. Your glory is at stake. It's, it's bound up in us. And as we live lives manifesting the beauty of the fruit of the Spirit, You are glorified. That's our desire in all that we do to bring You glory. Enable us to do that. And Lord, for those who are here who do not know Christ as Savior, who do not believe in Him, who have not come to the end of themselves, have not felt the full weight of their sin and the full dread of eternal hell, we pray, Lord, that even this hour You would open their hearts to the Gospel, to the Savior, to the cross and the resurrection, to the forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life. And may they bow the knee to the Savior. Thank You that You are righteous. And that is why there had to be a punishment. But You are good. 
And that is why there was a Savior to be punished in our place. May we be marked by these virtues and thus demonstrate that we are your children because we bear your marks. That's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to John MacArthur, Bible teacher with Grace to You. For free access to all of John's lessons and a listing of study Bibles and books available for sale, visit Grace to You's website, gty.org. And for details about the Masters University where John serves as president, go to masters.edu. John MacArthur and Grace to You reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available at gty.org and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating this digital file.
social justice movement went by its actual name, young Christians would not have been lured into it. Because the social justice movement is actually cultural Marxism. There's no such thing as social justice, people. In fact, in the Bible, justice never has an adjective. There's justice and there's injustice, but there's not different kinds of justice. Social justice is an ambiguous term, but it's never social nor justice. People are put into constituencies and everyone argues over who's privileged and who's not and who's to blame and who owes whom. Not considered are the millions of unborn children slaughtered by abortion. So social justice is less about loving people and more about pushing a particular narrative. The world will always be an unjust place because it's full of unjust people. Only God is just. His work is perfect for all his ways are justice and he will judge the unjust. How can we survive his righteous judgment. Repent and believe in Jesus and you will be saved. All have sinned against God, but you are justified by his grace through faith in Christ. Jesus left his throne in heaven, became a man without privilege, and lived a sinless life on our behalf. He died on a cross to pay for our sins, and he gives his righteousness to those who follow him. So God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The message of social justice is this. You owe me and I deserve to be compensated. The message of the gospel is this. You deserve death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. Christ our Lord when we understand the text. Lord, you're perfect, so why should you demand less? Man's best 
It's only a sinking sand quest But through Christ, watch God's saving hand flex Redeem the people north, south, east, and west Glorious robes in the promised land dress We stand blessed, all because of the Lamb's death So as we're lifting up our praise to you, receive it, Lord The object of our affection, whom we adore Falling in our misery, you daughter into history The pardon of iniquity, startling the mystery The ocean, the plains Mountains, the rain, the universe proclaims the glory of your name. And what am I that you called me to your side? And took this heart of stone and broke it open wide. It's all in how you say it. This is Ken Ham, president of Answers in Genesis, Ark Encounter, and Creation Museum. Earlier this year, news headlines proclaimed, Missing Link Dinosaur Discovered. Now, most people won't read beyond the sensational headline to discover the facts for themselves, but what were the facts? Well, researchers had discovered an Archaeopteryx fossil in Germany. Now, Archaeopteryx was once thought by evolutionists to be a missing link between birds and dinosaurs. But now most researchers agree it was just a bird. So the headline should have read, Fossil Bird Discovered, because that's what it was. As Christians, we need to be discerning. Don't just read the headlines, especially if something contradicts God's word. Look for the facts, not the sensational spin. Learn more about creation, evolution, and supposed missing links at AnswersRadio.com and sign up for free daily email insights from Ken Ham at AnswersRadio.com. Writing this to you, I really hope you hear my heart When thinking about describing you, I really don't know where to start Can't start at the beginning, cause you are before the beginning Way before the beginning, and this fallen world's distorted opinions It was just the holy trinity, ruling from infinity Glory blazed tremendously, loving one another endlessly Billions and billions of years ago, outside of what we know as time Nobody else was there to know, but Lord, here's the thing that blows my mind As long ago as that was Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed. What can that mean, but my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the Immutable, beautiful, you never change, never change. Forever you reign, you remain the same. 
talking just the other day How you reign supreme by far Not just because of what you do But simply because of who you are There's none like you in existence You are God and you need no assistance Even though we show you resistance You sent Jesus to close the distance That existed between God and man According to your sovereign plan We changed many times in one lifespan I changed even since this song began Lord, I'm so glad that you're not like us All that you do will certainly last You are the rock that we can trust Shows us back in eternity past As long ago as that was as long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the same. All of my inconsistencies, all of my idiosyncrasies Still you pursue relentlessly At times I wonder how this can be Surely it's because of the cost When Jesus paid the full penalty And bore the burden of sin's great cost I'm saved by grace and faith in God I look to Christ and I trust He died So even though I'm being sanctified I can't be any more justified His work is finished that cannot change And with this knowledge I am free Forever this grace it will remain Because of what happened on Calvary As long ago as that was Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change. You remain the same. Are human clones coming? This is Ken Ham, author of the eye-opening book, Six Days and Church Compromise. Earlier this year, scientists in China announced they'd cloned macaque monkeys. Now, news reports boasted that humans were next. Sadly, scientists have tried to clone humans in the past, and this is consistent with the evolutionary belief we're just another part of the animal kingdom. But in a biblical worldview, we recognize that a human clone would be 100% human. We're made in the image of God, distinct from the animals. But we shouldn't support attempts to clone humans. Cloning is incredibly wasteful, with hundreds of embryos, precious human beings, dying in the attempt. Human life is far too precious to throw away for research. Discover more about the sanctity of human life at AnswersRadio.com and view a transcript of this program, listen to it again, or share it with others at AnswersRadio.com. I have a strong name 
of God's Word. Biblical illiteracy is growing across the West. Many professing Christians simply don't know what the Bible teaches, and many don't even understand basic Christian doctrines. A recent study found that a quarter of Americans claim to be evangelicals, but the same study found that only half of them strongly agree with core evangelical beliefs. People are claiming the label evangelical without believing the Bible's core teachings. And why? because we have generations of Christians who just don't know their Bibles. 
Parents, I especially encourage you to get your kids into the Word. Help them know and love God's Word from a young age so when they're old, they won't depart from it. Want to be equipped to think biblically and engage your children in God's Word? Visit AnswersRadio.com and sign up for insights from Ken Ham at AnswersRadio.com. Let me start this off with a hallelujah to Jesus, the sovereign ruler. This is not a rumor. Got the truth, so we about to school you. Check out a style maneuver. Shout it to you like the loudest roofer. Christ put us up from out the sewer. We don't have to doubt the future. Crafting our verses as we bask in his worship. You asking the purpose, partly to fetch cash from the furnace. To Jesus' extravagant service, immaculate purchase. He was smashing the serpent, and we only scratching the surface. He's the seed that was conceived in the womb of a virgin. The sun emerges in the manger while the angels serenade him. It's the birth of the Savior, the greater ambient. Came a man, came as a lamb, and would be executed to execute the plan to substitute the sand. In the place of the wicked on the cross, he was lifted, but we considered him stricken and afflicted, just like the prophets predicted. He came at the proper moment to stop his opponent and lay down his life to offer atonement. He's the most magnificent, the total antithesis of insufficient, the blessed, the glorious, splendid, transcendent, difficult to comprehend, independent of space and time, but presently present, suspending the heavens with speech. From coast to coast, he speaks peace to wind and seas, got heavenly hosts easily. Posted on bended knees, controls the cosmos with the most authority. So we both in the most exalted King Christ supreme. He's the sovereign thriller, the awesome healer, the law fulfiller, the solemn killer, the fraud revealer. No God is realer, yeah. When you're taking your time in the scripture, put your gate into prominent picture. See his light shining bright in the night, and it's bright in the might in the dominant mixture. See his name at all the renown, though. When he came for the law, that he found low. He was tamed in floss all around, but remained for the manger, the cross, or the clown. Yo, Satan had a shirt hold on him. Fight for the rope, but dope and then. All to the eyes of the S to the E to the end. That's what we hoping in. Written on it's spell check, the risen king can rinse clean the most rebellious. I was hell bound, now I'm spellbound. Word is born, I'm a bond servant to the word of life. Uh, call me a sellout, I was fought with a price. We gotta hope it won't fail us when we return to the dust. We will rise up just like the one who justified us. It's not wishful thinking when the truth's sinking. We are clinging to the promises that God bringing an everlasting kingdom. Nothing can compare to the worth of what we inherited. Nothing in heaven on earth can measure what Christ merited. The skies declare the affairs of his glorious care. The God who is there, who's aware, who delights in our prayer. His purposes are permanent and perfectly proportionate. Everything that orbits around his glory subordinate. He is the most excellent one, intrinsic, infinite son. Preeminent the name, par excellence, prenom, phenomenon. He's beyond phenomenon, you see. The father of cosmology, the abba of astronomy. He's part of we, a pottery. It's shocking Jesus died for me. The father, he adopted me and constantly provides for me. Whether or not I got degrees, you gotta see his odyssey. From sovereignty and lottery to poverty and robbery to resurrected bodily apocalyptic prophecy he's stopping all the mockery and scholarly snobbery that don't acknowledge him properly you ought to be on bended knee before the preeminent it's awfully arrogant to reject him to your detriment study the development from old to new testament you'll find a theme that's prevalent from age to age it's relevant crisis on its center stage forget religious sentiments the center on man but something less is what you're settling he is the most excellent exercising benevolence and blessing a remnant with the benefits of his inheritance yeah. the sinner sinners that Separated and segregated that severed the relations between man and his maker and placed Christ on his costly cross and compensated his life, death, and resurrection emancipated and gave us freedom from it all, freedom from the effects of the fall, freedom from Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden and from the law. So the saints stand and applaud his grace and glorious cause with hands raised, praising his name, singing glory to God. <laughs> Christ is the free. 
that was shot in with uh, with um with a song called Supreme, and you could see more about Shannon at S H A I then L I N E first name Shy last name Lynn. and and actually it's at Napmode dot com L A M P M O D E dot C O L A M P M O D E Napmode dot com and next what we got for you is this is from what when we understand the text WWTT on YouTube and it's called What is a Faith Healer here on Tributaries. What is a faith healer? A figment of imagination, that's what it is. Like Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster, a faith healer is a hoax. You might say, wait a moment, doesn't the Bible say that some will be given gifts of healing? Yes, but it doesn't say anyone will be a faith healer. But what about Peter or Paul? They healed people. Sure they did, and sometimes they didn't. Paul could not heal himself when he got sick and had to stop in Galatia, nor did he heal Timothy of his frequent ailments. So what was the purpose of these miracles, like speaking other languages, revealing prophecy, or healing the sick, and even raising the dead? Hebrews 2, 3 through 4 says that the message of salvation, the gospel, was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to His will. So miracles were to affirm that the message of the gospel came from God. Some people had these gifts, like the apostles, and some did not, like almost everyone else. But even the apostles could only perform miracles according to the will of the Spirit. As God's message spread, eventually the regularity of miracles diminished, as was the case after Moses and Elijah's ministries. Today's faith healers claim to heal by faith. Then why aren't they clearing out hospitals or on the scene after a natural disaster? Because they know they're liars. It's as clear as the eyeglasses they wear. There are two places faith healers won't go, children's hospitals and heaven, if they don't repent when we understand the text. Are cities driving evolution? This is Ken Ham, author of the new book, Gospel Reset, Salvation Made Relevant. A recent study claimed that cities are driving evolution. Now, supposedly cities are spawning new species in 20 years, but it isn't the organisms that are evolving. It's the definition of evolution. According to these researchers, evolution refers to the frequency of certain genes in a population. So now, evolution isn't the production of brand new features or information, which has never been observed, it's now the frequency of genes that were already there. Evolution will never be observed because it contradicts God's word. What is observed is adaptation and speciation. This fits with the Bible's teaching, organisms reproduce according to their kinds. Discover more about evolution, natural selection, and speciation when you visit AnswersRadio.com and plan your visit to the Ark Encounter at AnswersRadio.com. All I want to do is praise your name from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. You are my God and all I want to do is praise your name.
Polygamy, the next marriage battle? This is Ken Ham inviting you to visit the full-size ARC attraction in Northern Kentucky. Dating websites are now available for people who want a polygamous relationship. Now that may seem shocking, but the idea of having multiple spouses or relationships is slowly becoming more accepted. And why? Well, people are rejecting God's definition of marriage. Instead, they're embracing the idea that everyone can live with whatever makes them happy. But we need to look to God's word for the definition of marriage. In Genesis 1, God created male and female and brought them together to become one flesh. Now that's the origin of marriage. You see, ultimately, marriage is God's institution because he designed it. So we don't have the authority to define what God has created. One man and one woman. Plan your visit to the world-class Ark Encounter with its full-size Noah's Ark and expanded zoo at AnswersRadio.com and discover more answers at AnswersRadio.com. Our first demonstration of conversation starters using, of all things, trivia. But please note, he doesn't stay in the land of triviality. He just uses it to very quickly get to the gospel. Hey, uh, Josh, what's the number one killer of drivers in the U.S.? Any idea? Um, drunk driving? No, it's not drunk driving. Have another guess. Um, I don't know, ICE roads? Nope. You know what it is? You won't believe me. It's trees. Trees? You're lining the highways of America, millions and millions of trees, and if you go off the road and hit a tree... The tree doesn't move, you do into eternity. So what do you think happens after someone dies? Um, I don't know. I think if they're good, then they go to a peaceful place, and if they're bad, they go to a bad place. Are you talking about heaven and hell? No, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of agnostic, so I don't really believe it. Do you believe God exists? Uh, I believe it, but I've never been shown proof. Well, creation's a good proof. I mean, can you make a, a flower or a tree or a bird from nothing? I can't, personally, no. So obviously someone made those things. Yes. And that maker is God, so um, if there is a heaven, are you good enough to go there? Uh, no, but I can always repent when I'm older. That's all you have to do, repent? No. And what makes you think you can get, how old are you? 18. What makes you think you're going to get older? How, how old do you think you're going to live till? I have no idea. I could die right now. Does that concern you that you could die? Are you fearful of death? Accepting. You're accepting, but are you fearful? Somewhat, yeah. I mean, we all are. No one in right mind wants to die. You know, we want to live. Most precious possession is our life. So if there is a heaven, you think you're good enough to go there or not? No. You're a bad person? I wouldn't say bad, but not good enough. So if I want to get to heaven, how good do I have to be? As good as you can be. Are you being as good as you can be? I'm, I'm working on it. Working on it. Oh, that's great. Um, let me see if you are a good person, okay? I'll ask you a few questions. How many lies have you told in your life? I have no idea. You lost count? Yes. Uh, have you ever stolen anything? Yes. So you're a lying thief? Yes. Uh, have you used God's name in vain? Do it all the time. Have you ever hated someone? A few people. The Bible says if you hate someone, you're a murderer. Um, now, Jesus said if you look with lust, you commit adultery in the heart. Have you ever looked at a girl with lust? Yes. Have you had sex out of marriage? Yes. It's fornication. So let's have a little summation, okay? You're a fornicator, an adulterer at heart, a liar, a thief, and a blasphemer. So if God judges you by the Ten Commandments, 
on the day of judgment, do you think you'd be innocent or guilty? Guilty. Heaven or hell? Hell. Does that worry you? Yeah. Well, it should. I mean, life is so precious, and if you died today and God gave you justice, you'd be damned in a place called hell where there's no pleasure and there's pain and suffering. Do you know what God did for sinners so they wouldn't have to go to hell? Any idea? He died on the cross. Yeah, so you know that, and you talked about repentance. Have you had a Christian background? Uh, after 9-11, for a couple of months. Say that again? Um, after 9-11, for a couple of months, me and my mom went to church. What sort of church? Um, Calvary Baptist. Okay, and did you give your life to Christ? I did. Got baptized and everything. And what happened? You fell away? I, I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel, I felt indifferent. I didn't, I, I tried, I tried to get in contact with him, but he just didn't come in my life, and so I kind of gave up. You know what may have happened is that you came not in sorrow for sin and in genuine repentance. You came experimentally to say, God, I, I really need you in my life. I need help in living and living and please change my life. Would that be right? Probably, yeah. That's about right. Okay, so today you know you're a sinner. I mean, a lying thief, a blasphemer, a fornicator, an adulterer at heart, a murderer at heart. I mean, that's serious stuff. So when Jesus died on the cross, he actually paid the fine for the law that you violated. God's a judge. You're a criminal in his eyes. Jesus paid your fine. That means God can legally dismiss your case. You realize that? He rose from the dead on the third day. What you've got to do is repent, not just give your life to Christ. You've got to turn from sin. Say, God, I'm sorry. Godly sorrow works repentance. And put your trust in Jesus like you trust a parachute. That means you totally surrender everything to him. Because the Bible speaks of false conversion. It speaks of true and false conversion. The false convert uh, falls away when temptation comes. And if you look back at what happened to you, you probably fell away when... You know, you're tempted by a girl or sex or something like that. Okay? So this time, if you do it right, you truly repent, you'll never fall away. I've been a Christian for 30-something years, 38 years or something, and I'd never fall away because my salvation's dependent upon my relationship with Christ, and that's what you've got to think about, your eternal salvation, and where you're going to spend eternity. And things aren't going to just come right when you become a Christian, but things come right with God, so you've got everlasting life, and that's what matters in the long run. Does that make sense? Yes. Do you have a Bible at home? Yes. Do you want to pray after we turn the camera off? Sure. Are you ready to surrender your life to Christ now or not? No, you don't need to feel pressured. Just, you know, if you say no, just say no. But, man, I'm concerned for you. I really am. <laughs> when do you think you'll get right with God? I have no idea. Shouldn't it be today? I think it's going to be when I'm hurting the most. What? Say it again? I think it's going to be when I'm hurting the most. Yeah, but that's not the issue. You, you don't repent because you're hurting. You repent because God commands you to repent because he doesn't want you to go to hell. Can you see the difference? You don't come to God because you're hurting. That's not the right motive. You come because you're a criminal and you need his mercy. You need his forgiveness. If you come because you're hurting, you're going to hurt as a Christian. Everybody does. You know, Jesus said you'll be hated for my name's sake. You'll get tribulation, temptation, and persecution as a Christian. So don't come because you're hurting. Come because you're a sinner and you need God's forgiveness. Make sense? Yes. You want to think about this? Yes. Josh, thanks for talking to me. Thank you. The joys of witnessing. Once you get the conversation started. That was from Wretched called Do Not Repent Because You're Hurt. And, of course, like it says, Ray Comfort also 
um, their preaching the gospel and uh, evangelizing. Thanks for listening. Me and Melissa Cantrell are here on Tributory. Uh, if you want to find out more about Richard, go to wretched.org, W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D dot O-R-G, wretched.org. And thanks for listening to me, Melissa Cantrell. Now I'm going to play a song for you. This one is called Stand Up by Shylin here on Tributory. Hey, yo, they said it was over, man. They said it was over. But it ain't over. We just getting started. Yo, 7,000, we all at. Let's go. Stand up, stand up. If you truly love the son of man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, stand up. Does anybody love the son of man? Trust. Jesus is the king, so his people we will sing. And forever stay worthy is the land. What's up? Surprise, no surprise, I'm back in your section With Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection More power than gravity, his knowledge and strategies Confound the academy, bow to his majesty He paid sin salary, took up blame on Calvary Those who love his name, spread his fame is the policy All eyes on the matchless price of his sacrifice Let's prize our master Christ and rise in the afterlife What, did we forget about the holiness of God or something? Did we forget that God owes us a rod or something? See the snake bruise when Christ came to save you to hate truth, the gospel is not fake news Our debt is sin, the gospel sweeter than it's ever been Ain't nothing changed, let us sin, we got the medicine It's still human emergency, the serpent attack You think Jesus can't save? That's alternative facts Stand up, stand up If you truly love the Son of Man, trust Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive And his fame is gonna spread across the land What's up? Stand up, stand up Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust is the king, so his people we will sing and forever stay worthy is the land. What's up? Listen to my composition Lots of rhythm but not traditional Kind of different But God's consistent No contradiction My proposition Through crucifixion He mocked and crippled His opposition It's not some fiction I'm spitting The son of God is risen And my incentive for godly living Is I'm forgiven Jesus came to unlock the prison And through the spirit He brings a new birth Like an obstetrician At times I listen A lot of Christian hip-hop is missing The proposition It's my suspicion We drop the mission Not to this But the word of God Is it not sufficient The doctrine is That the gospel fixes our shot condition, God the Spirit supplies conviction through proper diction. Against the backdrop of our tradition, the gospel glistens. A squad of Christians go out and witness a God's commission. Cause Jesus Christ got the top position, no competition. Stand up, hands up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, hands up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever stay worthy is the land. What's up? They want Jesus in the background like elevator music, but we gon' celebrate and relegate him, we refuse it. They hate Christian hip-hop, I peep myself. They say we too redundant, well let me repeat myself. What I gotta say almost feels too real estate. Sit back and feel the weight of what a real estate. Cause yo, Jesus Christ got me in the real estate. I'm purchased property, I feel like I'm real estate. If the Father wasn't gracious, no sending them. Again, he came straight blameless, no synonym. Again, nothing's been the same since, no synonym. Again, fakers lack his fragrance, no synonym. This is not the picture in a frame to still Jesus. Nah, we serve the rock, the harder than still Jesus. So how are we gonna be silent, let the world still Jesus? When the world and its trends pass away, it's still Jesus. Stand up, hands up. If you truly love the 
you how time flies. My mind tries to sit still, thinking how does one define wise? Feels like yesterday I was a newcomer, fresh in the game, ready to make the truth thunder. But as the beat plays, they lose wonder. After a few summers, the band's ready for a new drummer. Doesn't matter if you're not ready yet. Yesterday I was a cadet, now they call me a vet. But it's part of common sense that the artist time will end. To the young, this topic can be hard to comprehend. They don't come close to understanding how you can go from most demanded to abandoned in the ocean stranded. Surrounded by the waves of your weariness, some things you only learn from age and experience. And it's plain to me that all the famous men you see, the time is coming when they will be a faded memory. Cause one day you hot, the next day you not. One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah. What in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who yeah. it is Whatever happened to so-and-so, that's what they wanna know Eventually we learn that they all come and go Today's rising star, tomorrow dies with scars Today they all struck, tomorrow you washed up I remember watching Jordan's Hall of Fame speech Thinking this is what it's like to watch the lame reaching gas But he tries to grasp what lies in the past Never to return what lies in the past Did he tell himself, was he lost or sober? Did he know it was all but over? The moment that AI crossed him over If I could be like, didn't include dying light Let's shine the light on the one they call Iron Mike Nowadays he's known for being all weird But back in 88, nobody was more feared at the peak of his powers, his opponents would retreat in moments he would eat and devour. Snuffed with punches, but we must discuss this. Crushed it just enough to trust his toughness. Pride brings us to justice. You puffed up with smugness? You gonna meet Buster Douglas. Amazing that, which blazed like petrol. The new praise that made the waves in the metro. Was praised for days, but just a phase like retro. And fades like echoes. Echoes, echoes, echoes. Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah What in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who it is What I'm speaking on is seriously welcomed by the few Even no experience to tell you that it's true On your radio station, this won't be found on the playlist Wisdom, the sound of the stages, resounding for ages The older I get, I notice it The whole of the script, hmm, it's found in the pages A holy writ, not the cash speech of the reverend But what a man sees under heaven Ecclesiastes 111 No matter who you are, death aims to stop you Whether banker, doctor, or Frank Sinatra before your time is done, meet the timeless one The dying, death-defying, rising, shining sun King Jesus astounds and amazes He pounded the pavement to save those who were bound to their cages So let us praise the one who made the Everglades Our debt was paid, so in glory we'll never fade Never fade, never fade
by Goldfish, and that's all we got for now. So I'm going to leave you with Yancy and Friends with the Beyondability. Bye for now. The B-